Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am so delighted that you're joining me in my kitchen today. We have two wonderful guests I can't wait for you to meet. The first will be Dilip Gengoli. He is the owner of Evanston Cellars, is quite a connoisseur of wine, and is going to be talking to us today about Michigan wineries and uh, the opportunity to actually sample some delicious Michigan wines at a new and exciting event called Chicago Cooks and Michigan Pours. And then our second guest, we are going to be speaking with Chef Georgina. She is the chef and owner of a wonderful Brazilian restaurant here in the Chicago area, actually in Chicago, called Sinha. And we're going to be talking with Georgina about uh, Brazilian food and a lot of the health benefits and just some wonderful secret ingredients. I cannot wait for you to, to hear about and learn more about the Michigan wine and Brazilian food, um, specifically the Michigan wine from Dilip Gangoli. Uh, Dilip is the uh, owner of a boutique winery and lives on a vineyard in Evanston, Illinois. But he's doing something really special that Chicago, tune into this. It's, it's a first-time event, he is going to be a very special part of Chicago Cooks and Michigan Pours, and this is going to be a dinner on May 19th uh, at Uncommon Ground, a unique farm-to-vine experience, and it will feature, you know, some a wonderful chef experience uh, from the Chicago area and pairing it with delicious Michigan wines. So, Dilip, welcome to Kitchen Chat. I'm so glad you're here today. Oh, thank you, Margaret. I look forward to talking with you. Yes. You know what? When I hear Michigan, I don't automatically associate Michigan with wine. But I guess it's quite a prolific um, industry there. And I was so intrigued, and, and this is so topical, because Chicago Tribune just came out with an article featuring Michigan wines uh, just this week. <laughs> so it's quite timely. Um, how did you get involved in, in Michigan winery? Sure. I was, uh, I, I, I'm an avid gardener, and I like to uh, garden and take things and do things with them in the kitchen, and I planted some grapes and started making some fruit wines, and that led me to plant some grapes, but uh, I was, as I got into wine making, I was importing grapes from California and Washington State. They come in uh, 50-gallon buckets that are frozen, and I thought, well, I'd like to try to see what I can do locally, Hmm. and uh, I found in my searching for source uh, material for my winemaking that uh, there was a robust industry here in the Midwest and primarily in Michigan. Michigan has been doing uh, wines and, because of Welch's grape juice uh, near Kalamazoo. Uh, they've been uh, doing wines uh, 
for probably the longest period in the Midwest of any of the states. So uh, the industry in Michigan is very robust and advanced, especially because of Michigan State University. They have a very good uh, viticulture program and uh, an enology, the study of winemaking program as well. That is fascinating. And somewhere I read that Michigan has like over a hundred wineries in the state, and they're winning international awards. Um, that's correct. And uh, the article that you're referring to in the Tribune was yesterday by Bill St. John, and I wrote Bill a nice note uh, thanking him for the for the wonderful timing of his article. And yeah. our... <laughs> yes, hopefully he'll be at this dinner we'll talk about in just a minute. But I love how uh, Bill St. John just opens up the whole uh, article he's writing where he says, folks often tell me at this time of year that they're taking a trip to Napa Valley to really learn about wine. That's like saying that someone needs to go to Rome to really learn how to be Catholic or to St. Andrews to get the game of golf. And he's saying basically that, you know what, choose a nearby winery. And um, he has of late been going to Michigan to check out the wineries, and, and it's so exciting that, you know what, people don't even have to travel to Michigan uh, because on May 19th, you're bringing the Michigan wineries here to Chicago at this really fun event called Chicago Cooks Michigan Pours, um, and people can order tickets on ChicagoCooksMichiganPours.com, uh, but it's fascinating. I looked at uh, the menu, which is um, uh, and, and Uncommon Ground. Just said, I can't wait to see Uncommon Ground and and the award winning um, America's first rooftop uh, garden. It's just organic garden. Um, this is just going to be so much fun to see. But some of the 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 the, the uh, food that is featured there, it just seems like. Wow, how do you pair a wine with this? Um, it looks like the uh, appetizers um, are going to be grilled sustainable calamari, Korean chili spice sesame seeds, minted pea soup with pea tendrils, tempura asparagus with, I don't know how to pronounce this, espaletti aioli, <laughs> and you're pairing it with Chateau Chantal, to, tonight, sparkling wine. Tell us about how you chose to pair that with with the with the um, appetizers. Sure. Um, you know, again, thank you for uh, um, highlighting the fact that we're doing this at a very unique location. Uncommon Ground is one of the first green restaurants in the country, and 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 they not only do they source locally, they grow locally. They they have a, this wonderful uh, garden on the top, and that's where we're going to start the evening. And um, we picked this wine. Uh, it, it's basically a champagne, but as you know, you can't call a sparkling wine champagne unless it comes from Champagne in France. So, right. This, uh, and, and the Michigan wines tend to be um, higher in acidity than the Californian wines, so uh, they, they lend themselves naturally to uh, to um, bubbles, and 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 uh, bubbles and acidity pair well, and and these. The, the light crispness of this wine will match with the um, fresh uh, appetizers that we're going to be served at 5.30 on uh, May 19th at Uncommon Ground. 
Yes, this sounds delicious. And I, you know, I think Korean chili spice paired with a sparkling Michigan wine. I can't wait <laughs> to try that. That's going to be delightful. And then for the first course, uh, the food that will be featured includes roasted beet salad with frisee, black river, gargonzola, pistachios, oranges, horseradish vinaigrette. And that's going to be paired with Finn Valley Vineyards Lake Michigan. Can you tell us a little bit about that selection? Sure. As, as we all know, beets have uh, a good amount of sugar, and mm-hmm. um, and so this uh, the, the, there's going to be some sugar in the food that's being eaten, and so we paired it with uh, a wine, a semi-dry Riesling. And it's not going to be overly sweet, but it will highlight the sugar that's in the beets, and that's made by Finn Valley Vineyards. It's uh, um, one of the vineyards and wineries that's uh, south and west in um, in the state of Michigan. So the Chateau Chantal that we had in the first uh, uh, at, at, with the uh, appetizers comes from the um, Leelanau Traverse City area, old mission area. That's way up north, but uh, we're working our way down the state, and that's where Fen Valley is in near uh, Fenville, Michigan. Oh, so you really get a taste of the different geographic areas within Michigan and the different wineries. So it's not just centered on one place. It's you basically get a a winery tour <laughs> there at the table. That's the great thing about uh, wine uh, is that you can actually travel without leaving your seat. And and what we're trying to do is is uh, be the experts in Michigan, all things Michigan wine, and 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 and. People are familiar in Chicago with uh, Michigan because of taking their summer vacation. Well, you don't have to go all the way to, uh, well, you don't have to wait till your summer vacation. We're going to bring it to you and, and we're going to travel around the state as we eat our dinner. Oh, and speaking of the dinner, oh, listeners, the main course is going to be Mint Creek Lamb Tajine, and I don't know how to pronounce that either, with couscous, golden raisins, apricots rooftop farm honey and it's being paired with black star farms octuris pinot noir right um, black star farms is one of the older uh wineries and most established they actually uh, do a lot of ecotourism meaning they have a uh, bed and breakfast right on the site in acres of of uh, vineyards there that the tourists can actually walk through and see the process of uh, wine on the on the vine itself, the grapes on the wine. But uh, what's exciting about this uh, selection is uh, Black Star Farms is up again. We're going back to the Leelanau area peninsula. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pinot Noir is the grape that uh, they're finding to be quite successful uh, on the 45th parallel, which is equivalent to what you'd have in Burgundy in France. And Pinot, is, of mm-hmm. course, Noir is the grape of choice for reds in uh, Burgundy. Oh, and and then of course we need to end with the dessert course, which is a trio of desserts: desserts, chocolate spoon, Michigan cherries, and spiced truffles. And you're pairing this with Saint Cassant Michigan cherries, old-fashioned cocktail featuring Chateau Chantal Saint Cassant grape brandy. I hope I'm pronouncing all of that correctly. <laughs> doing a great job. Um, oh, we're, we're very lucky because uh, Jennifer Horkman, she's the beverage manager at Uncommon Ground, uh, she went with us about a month ago to Detroit to explore these Michigan wines, and she tried this brandy 
uh, from Chateau Chantal and, and, and just flipped over it and said, I want to do something with that when we have our dinner at Uncommon Ground. So she's going to be soaking the Michigan cherries in the brandy uh, for 48, 72 hours before the actual event. So when, wow. when she serves that cocktail at the end of the evening, it's gonna, it's, they're going to be fireworks, I assure you. <laughs> that will be fun. Firewa- fireworks from the rooftop, exactly. <laughs> That's going to be great. And, you know, I was reading um, your website, and it, it, it's fascinating. Listeners, I'll also provide a link to evanstonsellers.com. And I'm just so intrigued how, how you really have such a passion for wine. And Evanston Cellars is a wine and food lifestyle company. And um, you really want to, to um, share your knowledge with others who want to learn. And specifically about the terroir, and pardon my pronunciation of terroir, of the Midwest and how hybrid grapes have been cultivated for our cold climate. Because this is what, it, it just astounds me, you know, how can Michigan, which, you know, like Chicago, we get those cold, cold days in winter and, and um, sometimes unexpected blizzards in spring. How can a grape withstand such climate and maintain its taste? Right. You know, that's the big challenge of, the, uh, of our um, climate here in the Midwest because of the extremes, uh, both in, in the winter with the uh, um, cold, especially as you go farther nor- north. And those of you that are gardeners uh, will understand the concepts of Zone 5, Zone 4. Um, but uh, also the heat in the summer, and especially in southern Illinois where you have uh, humidity and uh, more extreme heat. So um, these grapes, are, a lot of the industry around in Michigan has been centered around what we call cold climate hybrids, some of which were developed uh, in France and brought over, mm-hmm. and some of which are unique to the United States and have been developed by people like Elmer Swenson in Minnesota, University of Minnesota, and then also uh, in in um, in Michigan, and so they, they have different flavor profiles. And I think one of the most interesting thing about some of these hybrids are uh, that the the smells and the aromas that come off of the finished product are tropical. So you get pineapple and citrus from grapes like Frontenac, Frontenac Gris that you wouldn't uh, normally associate with the Midwest. But they're great for the summer, and as the season warms up, these are fun wines, especially when you're sitting on the porch and enjoying the nice hot weather. That does sound like quite a delightful hybrid to the tropical in, in Michigan. <laughs> That's what a delightful surprise there. Yes. yes. And, and you know, I was reading something about how there are iced grapes or something. How does that work where it's um, people actually cultivate iced grapes? Well, it's called ice wine, and it's becoming a specialty of uh, the industry in Michigan because of the climate. Basically, what the, the uh, vineyard manager does is uh, leave the grapes uh, on the vine through the, the winter time. So a lot of ice wine grapes are harvested in January, and, and they're basically harvested so that they're frozen. And what that does is concentrate the flavor and the sugars of the wine um, in the grape and then, then the wine is made, and it becomes a very sweet, high-alcoholic uh, dessert type of wine. Mm. And, and I think uh, Michigan has a lot of promise uh, in, in specializing in ice wine and, 
and then some of the, sometimes uh, these winemakers will send some of their ice wine to get distilled, and then you have some interesting uh, uh, creations from distilled ice wine. That is fascinating. Now, before you had mentioned, you know, Welch's um, grape is there. I mean, is there like a, um, any type of competition between growing grapes for the vineyards and growing grapes for the jelly? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the, 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 the jelly uh, grapes are primarily Concord grapes, and um, the majority of the acreage in Michigan has always been dedicated towards growing Concord grapes to supply uh, Welch's. However, uh, farmers are now realizing that there's more value add to the wine uh, making gra- uh, wine grapes. So there's uh, a lot of conversion of land um, and rootstock to vinifera and hybrid grapes used for making wine. Um, and you can make wine from Concord grapes. In fact, some mm. of the uh, people like uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin. Some of the uh, founding fathers were winemakers and used uh, Native American grapes like Concord, Niagara, uh, Catawba um, to to make uh, wine. But uh, what we've found over the years is that these wines tend to be overly sweet and kind of jammy. So that's why mm. uh, they're not used commercially for winemaking. Interesting. And does Welch's have uh, like a division that makes wine as well, or they just are solely focused on on the grape jelly and <laughs> the products for that? I was just just curious on that. Good question. I don't think, uh, to my knowledge, they don't have any uh, wing that does wine. I think they're just focused on jelly. But uh, I know that some of the early pioneers of the wine movement in Michigan. Uh, the, the viticulture people were uh, at one time had passed through uh, Welch's, um, and then as they as their interest deepened in winemaking, they you know switched uh, their speciality in terms of grapes. Oh, this is fascinating! Such a rich wine industry and culture in Michigan. This and this is just so much fun. And and listeners, you have an opportunity on May nineteenth to actually taste the different wines from Michigan at this fun first uh, Chicago Cooks and Michigan Pours. Uh, so please check out the the tickets there. And and also, I must mention, Dalip, I am so impressed. You are such a Renaissance man. Uh, with your grape growing and uh, your deep knowledge of of wine, um, but also you are quite an accomplished musician. Musician, you're founder and director of Illinois Woodwind Academy, a member of the Chicago Sinfonietta, the Joffrey Ballet Orchestra, Lake Forest Symphony Orchestra. You have uh, recorded um, different albums. I mean, congratulations for for such an accomplishment. Yeah, I've done I've done a number of things. I, uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes my inability to focus leads me to different things. I'm passionate about everything I do, but I have a, maybe a bit of adult ADD. So I, 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 <laughs> that's fine. You know, finding new avenues. Are and and I do believe you know that I probably was born in the wrong time. This is the age of speciality, and I probably should have been born in the Renaissance. No, you are a Renaissance man in present day, which is just wonderful. And I look forward to meeting you on uh, May nineteenth at this wonderful event, Chicago Cooks Michigan Pours. And thank you so much for being on Kitchen Chat and sharing all of your your knowledge about uh, the wine industry in Michigan. So. 
thank you so much. You bet. And Margaret, thank you for having me as a guest. And I look forward to seeing you and your listeners on uh, Sunday, May 19th at Uncommon Ground. Great. Thank you. I am so delighted, listeners, to introduce you to our second guest today, Chef Georgina. She is the chef and owner of a wonderful, delicious Brazilian restaurant in Chicago on 2018 West Adams near the United Center. And the name of her restaurant is Senia. And it is such a wonderful experience. And I can't wait to share this with you and to learn even more about Brazilian food. So without further ado, welcome Chef Georgina to Kitchen Chat. Hey, good morning. Uh, How are you? <laughs> I am doing fine. To the bang. And, and listeners, you may or may not know, I lived for about six months or seven months um, in Rio de Janeiro uh, many, many decades ago. So uh, it's so much fun to reconnect with, with a wonderful Brazilian and practice my Portuguese a little bit. And I actually sampled the wonderful, wonderful um, Brazilian buffet at Senia that uh, Chef Georgina prepared, and it is deliciosa, <laughs> muito deliciosa, very tasty, Chef. Um, so oh, thank you. Oh, and and some of the the ingredients that you featured and the combinations. I mean, the dessert which. Uh, I enjoyed on your beautiful garden, and and actually the restaurant is part of your home, a gorgeous home, and um, you you live there, and, and on the bottom is is the restaurant area, and and you have a beautiful garden terrace where um, the diners can enjoy the the nice summer weather in Chicago, and I so much enjoyed your dessert with uh, was it. Flan and um, what was red the other? velvet and red velvet. What a wonderful combination that was! Just so which delicious. which we don't do in Brazil. You know, we right. don't do red velvet. But uh, in my cuisine, I try to make adaptations. Uh, so I'm always experimenting uh, foods from Brazil and <laughs> from my new country. USA, so it's, it's always a mix. Oh, and you know what? I didn't get a chance to ask you over brunch um, or lunch, rather. How long have you lived here in the United States? I came in '74. Uh, I was actually a social worker. I was going to do a master's in, in uh, social services, and. Uh, then I decided to go into computers <laughs> and uh, end up with a master's in information systems. And now at the end of, uh, of I'm not going to say uh, of my life, but <clears throat> at the end of my second career, I decided to um, do some cooking because I was missing all... Those wonderful dishes from Brazil. Oh yes, and as we as we say in in Portuguese, when you miss something so deeply, and there's not really an English translation for this, but you say saudades. So it's just such a a big heartfelt missing of something. <laughs> so I was uh, dying of saudades oh. from. Uh, from my food, from the, the good black beans and rice, from 
uh, wonderful uh, vegetables. And uh, to this date, I haven't really explored all the different kind of recipes that Brazil is rich in the culinary culinary uh, field. And that's the reason that lately I'm trying to show or bring some taste of the Amazonian cuisine to Chicago uh, because I have been doing regional kind of cuisines like Bahia, one of the mm -hmm. states in um In Salvador, yes, I remember But, visiting that. <laughs> and it, listeners, it's so it's so amazing because there's like an upper and lower part of um, of, of the, uh, Salvador Bahia, exactly. And you take an elevator, <laughs> and the, you go up and you go down. And exactly. uh, <laughs> and uh, as you know, that uh, particular state. Oh, let's say uh, mainly Salvador, which is the capital. Yes. We uh, have uh, dishes that have been influenced uh, um, by um, West African countries. So Bahia, Salvador, Bahia uh, has dishes that actually people from Rio, from Sao Paulo, they have never tasted <clears throat> because there is Practically, there are no just few restaurants from the, uh, from Bahia in Rio. I remember right. one from my childhood. Um, but if you talk about some dishes from Bahia, like acarajé, um, <clears throat> where standard the lady white lace mm -hmm. dresses, uh, they sell this whole little cake made with pea and shrimp. Yes. Um, they wouldn't know too much about dishes in Rio, for instance, where I come from. Yes. And it's great that I have brought this to Chicago. Actually, yes. that recipe, it was named as one of the five best recipes by Hungry Hound in uh, 2007. Oh, <laughs> so and that's great. We just had Hungry Hound on Kitchen Chat. So that's, that's <laughs> great. He's very fun. And, you know, I think we should talk about the different regional cuisines of Brazil because a lot of people, I mean, there's some, you know, wonderful restaurants here, but all of Brazil is not a churrascaria where they come to your tables with these beautiful carvings of, of meat and everything. Um, that's, uh, you know, a different region. So it, it's, it's just such a rich country with cuisine and the different influences. And, and what I was so surprised when I lived in Brazil, um, To, to realize is that I guess Brazil has one of the largest populations of Japanese outside of Japan. And so you have the sushi, uh, delicious sushi <laughs> in Sao, Sao Paulo. Paulo, especially. Yes, yes. There's just been such a. a, a uh, and the Italians are also predominant in Sao Paulo. So uh, Italian dishes is. They are so popular. We have our own way of doing pizza, and uh, <clears throat> there are a lot of uh, Italian dishes that uh, people wouldn't understand <laughs> that we, uh, we are cooking all those Italian dishes. So Italian, Japanese, uh, Germans, you go uh, down uh, south, uh, Rio Grande do Sul, 
where also the gauchos, where the, all this grilling meat come from, uh, because they had to take care of the cattle. They didn't have, it's like the cowboy, you know. Yes. <laughs> they, they had to cook somehow, and uh, there's where the churrascarias come from, the idea of uh, grilling all the meats and uh, and the sausages, it comes from that area. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> there are a lot of Germans after the Second World War. Uh, the Germans went to Rio Grande do Sul, Santa Catarina, all that area down south. And uh, the number of um, <clears throat> German dishes that we can have in, in that area. So Brazil is a fascinating uh, yes. in, in terms of cuisine, it's just amazing. We have mm-hmm. everything. I know. It's it's basically a melting pot, both in and out of the kitchen. Just a, a real influence of different cultures and, and cuisines and, and delicious creations. One thing I, I so remember, you know, this was decades ago, um, and, and this was, and it seems like Brazil set so many trends in place, um, especially in food and, and fashion. But I'll never forget uh, when I had my internship, each morning I would go to the corner fruit stand and get a bachita with the you know where they would just um, blend fresh oranges and fresh fruit together that that seems like such um, a healthy part of the culture you know where you just have fruit stands that blend you know they were into juicing <laughs> before it came really popular here in the United States yeah it is interesting that you are mentioning that because I recall going to one of those little places and having avocado and a little bit of sugar and and um, and um, uh, oatmeal ah. in a batida, and that was breakfast, and that was such a gorgeous and uh, fulfilling breakfast that you didn't need to eat anything until perhaps <laughs> by the <laughs> afternoon because you know avocado is very rich, and yes. then we have oatmeal. And ah, that reminded me. I I needed to to show that up, uh, show this recipe at the restaurant because we'll be. But I don't do breakfast only when I'm hired to do catering. Like yesterday, I had a a bunch of teenagers from the Bulls school that is close by my house. Actually, is the other side of the street. So they come. They came for uh, for breakfast to. Um, to uh, celebrate uh, whatever they were <laughs> celebrating, <laughs> so busy and it was the last minute. I was thinking, oh, can you do, can you do breakfast for too many people? Oh, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so I had some Brazilian <laughs> breakfast items, and I should have done it this bachida. Thank oh. you for reminding me. Oh no, my pleasure. So, what did, so what did you serve them for breakfast? Because you do uh, uh, catering for sure. Um, a bunch of fruits. I know the um, the abacashi, which uh, we uh, what's the name of the abacashi? Um, the pineapple, the the um, oh the mango at all? Yeah, mangoes, all the tropical fruits like in a fruit salad. Then we have. Uh, some things that resemble uh, French toast, but they would call habanada. Oh. 
Yeah, you, usually we do this recipe at Christmas Eve. You know, everybody goes to church. Uh, not everybody, but <clears throat> people that go to midnight mass. Uh, when they come back, they have a, a like a early breakfast dinner type, and this is one of the items. This uh, pseudo French toast that we call habanada. So oh. we had that. And I come up with this little creation of uh, an egg uh, that resembles a muffin, you know, a full egg in a muffin cup. And I crisscross with uh, turkey bacon, because some people don't eat um, uh, pork. And uh, when you do catering, you have to be very careful with uh, the product that you're using. So to be on the safe side, if you do turkey sausage, you are safe. Oh, yes. But if you say, oh, I don't eat that, you know. Oh. So better to go with the turkey than with the pork. Um, and uh, I had the hibiscus tea, which is not really Brazilian, even though we have hibiscus flower in Brazil, but mm-hmm. we uh, haven't got to the, the idea of making the tea out of the hibiscus but the Mexicans and many other cultures, uh, especially people from the Caribbean, they use the hibiscus to make this wonderful tea. Mm. Uh, it makes mine with a little bit of lime juice and, uh, and ginger. Oh. Uh, I put, uh, while the water is boiling, I put some uh, ginger root in that, so it gives that interesting taste to oh. the tea. So they love it because many of them, it's very interesting. Now, this is cool, but it used to be mainly Afro-Americans. Now, it's full of Latinos. I don't know hmm. how it happened, but the neighborhood keeps on changing. Yes. So we see this blossoming of so many different ethnic groups. Yes. So they, they love it. It was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> oh um Jamaica, Jamaica tea, you know. Oh my gosh, you have Jamaica tea. <laughs> and this was, this class or this group was from a Portuguese uh, class because they they elected to to, yes. uh, to learn Portuguese uh, in, <clears throat> instead of uh, other language. God knows why, because <laughs> they uh-huh. already finished. <laughs> so we they had to speak in Portuguese. So I was oh. explaining the different kind of things that I made and how I made it. Um, and what else do you have? I just I didn't do whatever I have, uh, whatever I find in the market that is not, that is fresh. And uh, based on the budget for that special uh, catering, I try to do the best I can to Aww. come up with the, and, um, healthier and- that's and, the food. Exactly. And it is so delicious and tasty. And I'll try to post some of the pictures of the delicious food that you prepare during lunch. Yes. And there was uh, the scallop. It was scallop with these 
delicious noodles and this beautiful mango that kind of had a little shape of a hedgehog. It reminded me the way it was sliced. It was just so beautiful uh, presentation. Um, and so even that, you know, now that I think of it, I wonder if that was part of the Italian influence with the, the pasta. With the- Well, <clears throat> here's the craziness. Uh, mango, I have a, a little place in Brazil where I have all these mango trees. And uh, visiting uh, my family way back then, because I don't have time to travel too much anymore, uh, we are doing the grilling meats and all these mangoes on the ground. And I asked my sister, what are you going to do with this mango? You know how much one mango costs in the United States? You can easily pay a dollar. So why... What are you going to do with these mangoes? And they said, well, later on, we're going to get them, gather them and throw to the pigs. They, they love <laughs> eating to the pigs. We are the pigs, those mangoes. And uh, I diced the mangoes, and I made a salsa with the tomatoes, uh, onions, and uh, cilantro. And we, oh, I poured that over the meat after once the meat was grilled, and they started eating, and I said, oh, my gosh, this is delicious. You know, we <laughs> should be doing that instead of throwing the, exactly. <laughs> the mangoes to the pigs. <laughs> so great. I don't, there are tons of mango salsa in the market, but this was back in the uh, uh, I think in '94, and the idea of putting the mango salsa, the mango oh. in the salsa, and uh, now is one of the popular uh, salsas here uh, at the restaurant. On Sunday yes. brunch, I always give a little mango salsa with uh, homemade tortillas. So and we don't have tortillas in Brazil, but right, right. I <laughs> this is homemade, and I slice the tortillas in different shapes so it doesn't look necessarily. Uh, a Mexican type of a Mexican food, and the Mexican is wonderful food. You oh, know, I love definitely. going using the Mexican recipes and making adaptations with poblano peppers and this pepper. And, uh, so yes, it's delicious. A little bit <laughs> in the kitchen, you know. Oh, there's, and, and that, <laughs> there's and, really rules. Exactly. It's brilliant because you know it's based on the recipes that. Uh, from Brazil, but then uh, I'm always adding a little bit of this or that or give a different presentation, like the mango, the way I cut the mango. Sure, some some chefs have done that before me, but in order to offer some fresh uh, fresh fruit to the to the people that come for lunch, I thought, oh, it would be so nice to have this mango upside down and that makes the plate look nice. Yes. Uh, the people have a little fresh fruit. Therefore, exactly. have fresh fruit with their meals. <laughs> oh, and that's what cooking is all about, too, is just being creative and uh, taking creative license to an established cuisine or an established recipe and putting your own signature and flair onto the table uh, for your, your family, friends, or whoever might be coming over. And, and I think, once again, the whole mango salsa that here you had 
created um, uh, many, many years ago before it came popular in, in the United States is once again indicative of how many food trends uh, start right there in Brazil. Another one I'll never forget, um, uh, many, many decades ago when I lived there in Rio, I lived close to Ipanema Beach, and uh, I remember walking along the sidewalk and there would be vendors selling fresh coconut and they would just chop it up right there, chop off the top and give you a straw and you could just stroll along the promenade and and sip the coconut water. And now, you know, it's so it's become very popular here in the United States. In and United, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I like going to Costco for certain things. Because I have a license, so I go to Jetro where the restaurant, the restaurateurs buy their food uh, because you find everything there. So it, it's easier if you don't call Cisco to have the food delivered. So if you want to do your own buying, it's very, it's very, um, it's very economic and um, um, time saver to go there and buy your things. That's the reason I got the scallops that was fresh. They have yes. a fresh passion there. And uh, that day that you came in, I thought, oh, my gosh, look at those scall- scallops there. <laughs> oh, nice. I have to buy at least two pounds and uh, make the special of the day. Um, but uh, you go to Costco, and now they are selling uh, the coconut water. Yes. <laughs> and I think, oh, my gosh, look at this. <laughs> I hope they come from Brazil, so it's helping the Brazilian economy. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. But uh, it's amazing how certain things suddenly become so popular and everybody wants to buy. It's the same with acai, which is yes. one of the from the Amazons. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> now they are not talking so much about acai, but, my gosh, it's... Whole Foods, everybody was into the acai and actually has so many good properties. Uh, And and I'm planning to do uh, ice cream and and a few other desserts with acai because I am into this trip to the Amazon. I'm going to explore the Amazon and... uh, and recipes that they have, which is it's going to be kind of hard because right. it's hard to get the product, like mm-hmm. uh, Tukupi. Tukupi, and listeners, I cannot wait for you to hear about Tukupi <laughs> and um, some other really interesting dishes and uh, ingredients from the Amazon. And, and before we start talking about the specific food, I, I was just just amazed, Chef Georgina, about your traveling adventure to the Amazon where you actually stayed in this hotel and there were crocodiles. You could hear the crocodiles <laughs> <laughs> at night because the river was just right next to uh, your <laughs> <laughs> Your window. What what an adventure that must have been. So. Oh, it's something. And I'm so glad that I did that because Brazilians from Rio, Sao Paulo, they will go to Florida shopping Miami before they, they go to the Amazon. You know, it's like, <laughs> one is very expensive to 
to fly from uh, one region to the other because it's, it's very expensive and the roads are not so friendly. So um, if you talk to a Brazilian from Rio, Sao Paulo, they have been to Paris, they have been to <laughs> New York, <laughs> Miami, but they have never been to Manaus. Oh, oh. well, I... And I'm so sorry, because I actually visited Manaus, and it was so amazing, because while I was in Brazil, you know, and I guess coming from the United States back then, you could get this student fair, uh, where you were able to travel to different places within a certain time, and I remember Manaus, it was just so amazing to to see, and, and I took a very brief journey into the jungle, and uh, it, it was just such an incredible culture there. And the opera house, seeing an opera house, beautiful opera house, right in the middle <laughs> of everything, it was amazing, yes. <laughs> but during the colonial times, um, the Portuguese came to Brazil to get away from the wars in Europe, but they wanted to have the luxury of... Uh, of the European environment, so they built those beautiful uh, buildings that resemble um, the architecture in uh, in uh, Europe. And this opera house actually was for the king, uh, for the prince, hmm. and uh, so you have his um, you have his um, entertainment uh, and. Um, I have never been to the opera house, even though I went to Manaus, but I didn't have time because I think I was so scared of everything. (laughs) (laughs) The crocodiles after the crocodiles, I understand. In the middle of the jungle, I thought, okay, I'm going to go. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Caruso, all these big uh, uh, opera singers actually went to Brazil to sing in this beautiful opera house. So Brazil is fascinating, and uh, it's amazing that I don't know as much as I should about my uh, my own culture. And the funniest thing is that now that I'm here, I'm also an American citizen, that I am so fascinated and interested in Brazil, you know, because you are in Brazil, you are more interested in Europe, you are more interested in the United States than our own country, so well, a little time. Exactly. Well, Brazil leaves wonderful memories in your heart and in your stomach, and I really want to hear a little bit um, about the Tucupi and how you are going to be bringing this unique juice extracted from the yucca plant um, into um, your kitchen and um, maybe some of the the recipes you have in mind and and why it is so good for you. Oh, um, let me go into explain that. So I have explored quite a bit of the food from Bahia, you know, with the West Mm -hmm. African uh, influence. Now, the food from the Amazon is going to be a really indigenous uh, influence because uh, our still, well, our Indians are still there, uh, that have been cooking with the product from the forest. So it will be truly Brazilian, you know, from the soil of Brazil. And um, when I was 
when I went to the Amazon is in 94, uh, and I stayed in this little hotel called Ariel that uh, is in the middle of the jungle. And boy, so I understand uh, Jack Crystal helped to design uh, that hotel mm-hmm. on his suits, right? The name of the... Yes. And because of the rainy season, um, uh, so when the... It depends on the rainy season, uh, the water could go away up there. And so those, this hotel is built so high that prevents the water from coming to your bedroom. So a, a very interesting project and a beautiful uh, place that scared me to death because you go from <laughs> one building to the other, the monkeys are jumping you, taking a <laughs> bath, and I say, oh, my gosh. How come a nice girl like me is doing here in the middle of the jungle? <laughs> but I, if I had to, I had to get, I think everybody in life um, has some fears, and that trip really helped me to get rid of fears that I had inside of me that I didn't know about. Because once I came back, I was so courageous. I was, you know, daring everything, doing. I think one of the reasons I have this restaurant is because I was, you know, I got rid of uh, being afraid of trying new things in life. And uh, it was a very good trip. But I recall eating this wonderful uh, um, soupy type of fish and shrimp and and sure, I didn't have any clue which kind of fish they were cooking with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recall they did a lot of things with crab and um, in sauces that I couldn't recognize. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm digging into this um, recipes, I found out that many of the sauces are made with this tukupi. And uh, so a friend of mine who works for... Um, who, that goes to Brazil uh, and uh, back and forth, I said, could you please try to get this tukupi for me? And I found a place in Rio that actually sells that hmm. uh, juice, and he brought me some. <clears throat> so now I have the product to try some of the recipes. I have to be very economic because yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get another bottle of this thing, so I'm right. going to try you know, in few little recipes and see how if I can uh, reproduce that same kind of uh, uh, food that I ate back oh, then. Now, but right. I do have uh, the books. Uh, it's so easy to go to uh, to the computer, Google, whatever. You get all kind of information. Right. <laughs> so recipes are not mysteries anymore to people, to chefs, uh, it's just knowing what to do and have the taste and some idea of how the thing should look like and taste like, and then you'll be able to, to make it. And so thank God for 
for computers, right? Yes. Oh, well, I am looking forward to uh, sampling something with Takupi and your beautiful restaurant, Sinya, on 2018 West Adams in Chicago. And another wonderful thing about the restaurant listeners is that it's kind of family community sit- seating. It's, um, you know, they, they're not little individual tables. You can just end up sitting next to strangers who become friends during, <laughs> during lunch. Well, it's all about community and camaraderie uh, because the idea is that even if you are by yourself, uh, you don't feel intimidated by yes. going to a restaurant because you are going to to sit with somebody, hopefully somebody <laughs> that you can talk to, then the, the chef, Georgina yes. in this case, will be friendly, will be talking to you, so you don't feel that you're alone or that uh, somebody's not paying attention to you. Uh, oh. I think that is my, my mission <laughs> yes. in life now is to make, make people feel happy about, the, about uh, what they are eating and being. It's, it's something different that they have never thought about before. But now they say, oh, I do like this raw kale salad. You know, I never thought about doing that. But yeah. isn't that wonderful? And then you mix with a little cranberries. Oh, I only eat cranberries at, uh, for Thanksgiving. But now I can use this cranberry, you know, for salads or some uh, ap- apricots, dry apricots that the Middle Eastern people use so much. And sure, we don't use that in Brazil, but it would be so nice to mix with something, you know, that is, and so it's a mixing cultures, mixing people and making people feel good and eating good. It's fresh. Thanks. Yes, and a delicious and a delightful experience at your restaurant, Sinha, with Chef Georgina. Oh, what a delight it has been to have you on Kitchen Chat. I hope you will come back another time and we can talk even more detail about Takupi and any other interesting ingredients you discover in the Amazon or on your Brazilian travels. But um, one one saying in Brazil, Chef Georgina, that has just inspired me um, and has kind of become a little mantra or saying in my life is aproveite, which it, it, I think encapsulates the, the courage of embracing the taste of life and, and just, um, uh, just trying the, just, I don't know how you would explain in, in English, but uh, I've tried to capture that same uh, enthusiasm of aproveci uh, in my little tagline of how I encourage the listeners after um, each show uh, to sit down and remember to savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.